And good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of The Other Side of Midnight from the gorgeous land of enchantments with a beautiful moon out there tonight. The storm has passed, computers are repaired, and be prepared tonight for an adventure. Because whether you know it or not, there seems to be a genuine disclosure event occurring even as we speak in South Eastern Utah. Yes, you heard me right. You've probably all been hearing about this bizarre, you know, obelisk, monolith, whatever, that was found by uh, some state uh, officials in a helicopter that were counting bighorn sheep. Well, as Paul Harvey used to say, you're about to hear tonight the rest of the story, and it grades perfectly into what my guest Stephen Bassett and I are going to talk about, which is this larger concept of disclosure. What is it? And I think, Steve and I have a little different perspective, and the bridge between the two, oddly enough, appears to be tonight again, Utah. I mean, who would have thought the state of Utah would play a center role, you know, stage in this uh, unfolding melodrama? Anyway, we'll, we'll get to all that in the next, uh, you know, three hours. In the meantime, I want to all direct you, your new listeners, of course, to the other side of midnight.com. That's our website. What you want to do is to click on tonight's banner, which says, is this the real October surprise still to come with Stephen Bassett for November 28th. Tonight is the 28th. Uh, disregard the, the numbers there below the um, other side of midnight log, because we've had to recycle this show so many times. We've had serious, serious issues. And uh, I won't bore you with all the computer details, but it came back today by FedEx and Keith and I have been working all afternoon and evening and it looks like we are good to go. So um, let me direct you to that. As I said, you go to the other side of midnight.com. You click on tonight's banner. Is this the real October surprise that takes you on November 28th to the guest page for Steve and you just kind of scroll down or you can click on the fast links up there where it says fast links to items, um, Richard, Stephen, and Keith, because we have a surprise guest tonight. For the first uh, few minutes of the show, we're going to have Keith Morgan come on, who has actually been to Utah and has taken some extraordinarily interesting images that are in the context of this unfolding Utah story of the monolith or as I think is more appropriate to call it, the obelisk. And we'll explain the difference uh, shortly. Anyway, just click on the fast links to my items. That takes you down to the uh, radio with pictures section. The first item, number one, is it looks like, before we get vaccines and into that whole incredible controversy, there are significantly different risks for having a serious case of this disease, depending on your blood type. And of all the blood types, type O turns out to have about a 13% less risk of either serious infection or, in fact, death. And that's uh, part of some very large-scale new studies that have been launched. Just click on that news link, and it will take you to the entire story. And the other part of the story is uh, vitamin D. I know there's been a lot of discussion out there about prophylactics, things you can take that will improve your immune system. It looks like in uh, comparison studies, double blinds, uh, vitamin D really does not help. So one thing is useful, which you can't affect, of course, because you're born with your blood type. The other you can affect, which is don't take something that's not going to do you any good. The one thing you can do is wear a mask and stay away from folks. It's really, I mean, I am going to do a show sometime in the future, next week or two, where we talk about how something so simple has become so tangled in politics. And I'm going to lead you back again through the science of how you yourself can check experts. I do not like listening to experts. I do not like reading stuff on the internet. I certainly don't like reading things on Facebook because people make the wildest assertions and there's zero evidence. I mean, zero, zero evidence to back up what they're claiming. But just because it's on Facebook, an awful lot of people seem to believe it. 
So I want to start back at square one, um, maybe next weekend. We're looking at some very intriguing guests that we'll be talking about uh, the whole COVID thing on a global scale. And we'll be reinforcing the discoveries that we made some weeks ago and that we announced here that there appears to be this remarkable global synchronization on all sides of the planet. People are dying simultaneously who never have met, never will meet, obviously now. But there's this rise and falling curve, which has this stunning periodicity of seven solar days, regardless of where you are on the planet. So we're looking at some experts that actually have done a paper on this. Uh, They appear to be interested in coming on the other side of midnight to talk about uh, how this can impact things like uh, ameliorating the disease. Um, For many years in, in the field of medicine, it's been known that when you take a drug, and it shouldn't matter when, but when you take a drug does matter. And of course, it's perfectly our model, which is that the physics, the hyperdimensional torsion field is changing in the background. And certain things you do today, if you do them tomorrow, they will work less effectively or they'll work more effectively. Anyway, we're going to get into some very interesting discussions with these authors of this paper because they're looking at the causes just as we are. And they did make one little statement in their um, preliminary paper that this could be a very significant discovery. And, of course, uh, I think it's extraordinarily significant. And as I said, we're looking to get them on maybe uh, next weekend, and if not, maybe the weekend after. So just kind of stay tuned. We'll alert everybody. We'll send out newsletters to the the membership of Club 19.5, and we will post the banners as soon as we know we've got the guests booked. Item number two, you may not know it tonight, but the Chinese are uh, back orbiting the moon. Chang 5, remember Chang is the goddess of the moon, and there's an extraordinarily interesting myth that goes with all of that, which you can read at the Enterprise Mission website. Remember, it's enterprisemissions, plural, dot com these days. Um, just go and look and, and click on the on the Chinese story, which is from some years ago, and you'll see this whole background discussion on the Chang goddess of the moon and its relationship to Chinese mythology and why they're going to the moon. Anyway, tonight they have officially entered lunar orbit. Actually, they entered lunar orbit with this unmanned robot called Chang 5 about uh, 8 o'clock Eastern time, just before 8 o'clock Eastern time this morning. Tomorrow, sometime in early afternoon, but we're not certain because the Chinese are very closed-lipped about these things. Gosh, I wonder why. Um, They're going to land. And the mission this time, if you click on that second link, is to land a spacecraft equipped with a drill and a shovel. And they're going to pick up something like a little over four pounds of lunar material, put it into an ascent rocket, which is mounted on the apex of the lander they're landing tomorrow noonish and they're going to fire it back into lunar orbit they're going to rendezvous with a mothership uh the the uh, entire chang 5 spacecraft consisted of two separate spacecraft the orbiter and the lander and the lander puts its sample into the ascent stage on the lander fires it into orbit it rendezvous in a couple of days with the orbiter and then the orbiter is going to fire its own rockets leave lunar orbit take about 112 hours to fall back toward Earth and should land sometime, I think, midweek, I think by December 2nd. And next weekend on the, on the I forget what the date is, I can actually look, I can do that. I can actually click on this little thing and this will come up. And next weekend will be the 8th, or no, I'm sorry, 7th, 7th. On December 7th, that's the name that will live in infamy, We're going to be doing a show uh, on the moon with our Enterprise crew and talk about whatever results the Chinese have revealed. They have a very exquisite color panoramic camera on the lander. They're going to take 360 shots. They're landing on a place called Mons Rumker, who was a very famous astronomer about 100 years ago. 
And it's a it's kind of like a mountain, three thousand foot tall mountain in the middle of Oceanus Procellarum, which if you look at the full moon is kind of in the upper left hand corner. And what's really intriguing is that my now deceased friend Stephen Troy, who was a member of the Enterprise Imaging Group, uh, many, many years ago was able to order through the National Space Science Data Center actual hard copy images that the astronauts took and that the unmanned uh, U.S. spacecraft, the lunar orbiters took of this Mons Rumker, Mons means mountain in Latin, and um, also of another set of very similar uh, features called uh, the Marius Hills. And lo and behold, the Marius Hills turned out to be incredibly ancient, dilapidated, eroded structures. You can see the geometry on the data that Steve was able to extract from NASA through the NSSDC. My prediction, and I hate doing this stuff a lot, but we'll make an exception tonight. My prediction is that the Chinese have chosen this Mons Rumker because they have recognized the similarity between that feature on the moon and the Marius Hills. And if that's true, it means they have deliberately chosen to land in the center of a set of ancient structures and to bring back four pounds of material from that location. Now, the mainstream idea is that they're looking at ancient volcanoes. Maybe and maybe not. We may know a lot more by tomorrow evening, so we will do an update at the beginning of tomorrow night's show, and we'll know whether they have successfully uh, you know, extracted a sample and stuffed it in their ascent stage, and we may even know if they are giving a specific time for when they intend to send that back to lunar orbit and to rendezvous with the mothership, Chang-5. Anyway, stay tuned. Item number three, this is where things get really intriguing here on Earth, because several days ago, long around, what, November 18th, um, three biologists and one helicopter pilot working for the Department of Public Safety of the state of Utah in a chopper that was surveying swaths of the ancient canyon lands to the um, southeastern part of the state, uh, looking at bighorn sheep and taking photographs and doing tabulations. They do this apparently every year. They flew over one region, and one of the biologists, according to the story, said to the pilot, wait a minute, turn around. I think I saw something. And the whole story is, of course, all over the Internet, so you can find the rest of it. Anyway, they turned back. They landed. They walked down this this cliff um, with some difficulty. They then reached the ground floor, if you can call it that, of this little box canyon. And in the middle of the canyon, sitting there, bright as life, was a tall, brilliantly um, aluminum or steel spire, about 12 feet high, sitting in the middle of this box canyon that's relatively small. It's maybe, what, two, 300 feet across, if that. And they took lots of videos. They took lots of pictures. Um, that's the story of what's happened since is item number three, because originally the state of Utah said they did not want to uh, uh, tell anybody where this thing was located, that they didn't want people to... Uh, get lost and run out of water and have to be rescued and all that. Well, of course, if you know anything about people on the Internet, you know that if you give them a mystery, they're going to figure out how to get there. And a lot of people sprawling around the deserts of Utah without knowing exactly where to go, I frankly think was the dumbest thing that the state could have made a decision about. Because if they told them exactly where it was, it turns out there's an ATV trail just a mile or so away there are well-known ways to get there. There are well-known ways to get back. They could have stationed a couple of rangers or park superintendents or whatever. They could have managed the, the amateurs. Now, of course, it's open season because some very interesting folks on the Internet uh, at Reddit, they thought to themselves, well, let's see, how do we figure out where this thing is? So they went to this website, which lists live all the flights with transponders all over the United States, including helicopters, state helicopters, 
and they tracked down the particular helicopter on the particular uh, noonish flight um, on the 18th of November, and they simply looked at where the track disappeared when it went below radar, when the transponder no longer could be heard, and they figured that was the location. Then they went to Google Earth, and lo and behold, they found the images from Google Earth of the monolith, of the obelisk, sticking up out of the you know, bottom of this dry, dry uh, box canyon. And lo and behold, now the scene is being flooded with hundreds of amateur backpackers and ATV people and tourists and God help us. And I have no idea tonight whether the state of Utah has set up any kind of protection because as uh, my first guest tonight, Keith Morgan and I are going to discuss... This is a find of extraordinarily importance, um, if, in, if for no other reason, uh, forget the monolith, forget the obelisk. It turns out that this, this structure, this recent man-made structure, is sitting in a canyon whose walls are decorated with extraordinarily ancient and very communicative art. This is a treasure trove. This is a fantastic find and someone, in our model, in my model anyway, put this obelisk there so it could specifically serve as a marker as to how important this site is, having nothing to do with modern artists. Uh, there have been a couple mentioned who do these things in the desert. Um, whoever did this knows a great deal about things that they should not know about unless they're part of a bigger picture. So if you go to item number four, this is the Department of Public Safety Aero Bureau for the state of Utah. This is where the uh, four guys who were in the chopper posted video and pictures. You get some panoramas, you get some close-ups, you get some elevated views. Um, and if you go to number five, this is the Google Earth. Just That's the link. Just click on that. That will take you to the Google Earth uh, view. Uh, of this little monolith sitting there in the middle of nowhere. And um, anyway, number six begins to get into why I got intrigued with all this, because if you take a view, look at one of the elevated videos by, I guess it's the chopper pilot photographing the three biologists. If you see that image, what does that look like? My gosh, it's an equilateral triangle. This object, this stainless steel or aluminum thing sticking about 12 feet up out of the bottom of the canyon, about twice the height of the two guys that stood on each shoulder, each other's shoulders to, you know, crudely measure the height to look at the top. It's an equilateral triangle raised into a third dimension, which, of course, by our hyperdimensional modeling, is a tetrahedron. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, uh, let me introduce um, someone who's been a kind of a partner in crime on trying to figure this out, who actually uh, caught a couple of these important seminal points by himself before we got a chance to talk. So I want to give him full credit. Keith Morgan has been an electronics technician with ABC News in Washington since 1982. He has a BA in communications from Howard University with a minor in computer science. Build Howard University's TV station, WHMM now WHUT, and he worked at WRC Channel 4 in Washington in 1980, which, of course, is the flagship Washington station for the NBC television network. Keith is discoverer of what has been coined the Morgan Curve on Mars at Sidonia. He's researched the Mars anomaly since 88, after purchasing a copy of my book, The Monuments of Mars. He was working with Nightline and Ted Koppel, Koppel was interested, I'm sorry, Keith was instrumental in getting uh, a face-to-face -face between me and Ted, which was a really interesting meeting. We may talk about that someday in detail. Keith also supplied the show with information, which has been used in various shows about Mars and the uh, uh, second moon of Jupiter, Europa. Keith thinks he knows now why the face is on Mars and who is buried within, based on Sumerian writings that are over 6,000 years old. And he's a guest tonight, first, because he knows Utah. And Utah is now, in my opinion, potentially the center of the disclosure 
universe. Keith, welcome back to the other side. Thank you, Rich. Uh, I'm glad to be on with uh, Stephen tonight. Stephen and I go way back. Uh, I used to attend his uh, briefings that he would have when he put out a press release, uh, even though ABC never sent anybody to actually attend. And I thought that was a waste of um, uh, you know, getting the information because they didn't pay attention to stuff like that. Anyway, um, my son lived in Utah for three, four years, and I used to go out and visit with him. And we went down to the uh, what's called the Utah Arch Park. And when I got there, I was able to take pictures and look around. And a lot of the stuff just stood out as it's not natural, but they accepted as saying, oh, this is just a natural formation. That's a natural formation. But then as I kept looking and looking, it was things were showing up that just did not make any sense because they all looked like they were artificial constructs, large statues, uh, things along that line. And I had seen uh, uh, pictures uh, during one of Art Bell's uh, shows. He had a guy on who was a Native American who was showing an area that's a sacred area that had these huge statues and they had weathered and so forth, but you could tell exactly what they were. And I'm seeing the same thing in Utah and Utah is littered with this stuff. And especially at the, the arch park. And so if you, if you go to uh, the other side of midnight, you go to the night show and you go down to my picture, this actually shows the arch. In the yeah, background. up under the banner on the guest page, there are fast links. Just click on Keith. Oh. That will take you to his section. And then that it takes you directly to a whole page. We had so many images that Keith provided that we had to, Kinti had to set up an entire page. So that takes you directly to Keith's Morgan, Utah images. Okay. So the first three pictures that you're looking at, there's a wide shot the closer shot and then the really close shot and up on the top of this hill mesa there is a bust that looks like nefertiti with the egyptian headdress good on. grief it does and when you look at how precarious it is sitting on that small neck and the weight of that headdress should have pulled this thing over, broken it off. Wind should have knocked it down. Something in the time that has been up there. And if you look to the right of it, there is a pillar that's got these straight lines on it, and it's got this little things sticking up that looks like it had some kind of maybe head on it or something. That nature does do that kind of stuff. And then if you go down to the picture number four, you have these you have these tall. Uh, Cliffs and each of these are clickable, so if you click on them, it gets full screen. Yeah, and then you can see really see the details on these. The fourth picture is one of those statues, and I didn't get it as well as I should because I had light flare coming in from the sun from the left side. But if you if you blow this up and you look at it, you'll see this huge statue with the head turned to the left. Oh, four A body. Yeah, four A. You look at four A, you will see. That is a statue, and that's like the statues that I saw with the pictures with Art Bell and the Native American who was showing the sacred site because he wasn't going to tell anybody where it was. Hmm. And if you scroll down to picture five, you'll see this huge structure. It's all flat. You blow that up, you'll see it's flat all the way across except along that bottom edge where that division line is, right along the bottom, there is a square cutout. But then you keep going over to the right, and suddenly there's a relief standing out from this, a three-dimensional relief standing out, and the rest of it doesn't make any sense how this could have formed like that. And when you look at it, it looks like there's someone sitting in a chair with their left arm across their lap, and the guy has a beard or something, and it's kind of hard to make out the face. But then picture number six, it shows you a close-up of where the legs are coming down from the, um, the relief. And then you can see the square on the uh, left side. And as we get to picture six, you can see that this top of this uh, mesa here, the top is smooth, but then you go past the, the uh, separation point, and you can see that all of that is 
it's not smooth. It's like it is raw. It's it's never been worked with, and it continues down. So what smoothed out the top half but never touched the bottom half? Skipping seven and going to eight, there's seven and eight and nine. There are these two statues standing back to back to each other. One side looks like Anubis. The other side looks mm. like another figurehead, and they're facing back to back. The heads are at the top, and it, it's more dramatic when you're sitting there looking at this stuff. This is not a natural formation. If you skip nine and go to 10, that's a wide shot of what we're going to be looking at in 11 and 12. 11 is showing the front half, which has this, it looks like a boulder precariously balanced on the top of this triangular base. And it, again, it looks like something should have blown this over. The weight should have crushed it over time, something. Or earthquakes. Or earthquakes. But then if you look really careful at the details, you'll see an eye on one side and what looks like a mouth on the bottom. This head is not human, but who's to say it's not some other uh, intelligence? And picture 12, if you look at that, you'll see this does not belong there. So we're going to skip 12. We're going to go to 13. If you blow this guy up, you will see what looks like a turtle back. And then there's a head on the right oh side of gosh, the turtle back. It's pointing at a 45 degree angle. The head is up into the sky and it's got details on it. And if you look in the foreground of it, there's a pillar standing up that has details on it. That looks like another statue skipping that guy for uh at 14, that's a wide shot. And up at the top, you'll see the arch. But then you'll see all these other structures across the top of this mesa. And how did they get there? You go to the 15, you get a little closer. You go to 16, now you see all of these other structures screwing out across this mesa. How did they rise up out of the top of this mesa to be windblown and create these structures? Well, the one on and, the right looks like a sphinx. Yeah, and one looks the the one to the left looks like it's got a head of a snake that's been smoothed down and curved. And seventeen, you can see the arch, you can see these structures. Uh, Eighteen as well. So then we get to nineteen, and that is the one that caught my attention. This is our monolith, but on the left side, I see what looks like a puma. My wife said <laughs> it looks like a dragon. I mean, uh, um, excuse me, it looks like a dinosaur. And Richard said, it looks like a dinosaur. And on the right side, there is this other structure. And if you look deep at the details of it, this was carved out because there's no way you could get this kind of overlap on a gap with a hole without somebody carving this in there. And well, you know, we, we, had, we had Andrew Curry, oh. who's our resident artist, uh, works with Hollywood, does screen you know, stuff, commercials and all that. And he does storyboards and he look one look and he says, those things had to be carved. Yeah. Rich, we're coming up on a break here and we're like a minute out from. Yeah. I'll tell you what, let's, topic. let's pick this up on the other side. Cause obviously we don't want to truncate. We'll bring Steve in for some uh, live reaction. Um, you're on the other side of midnight. I'm, what I'm trying to do tonight is kind of lead into this, this very important idea that disclosure is not just about UFOs. Disclosure is about a lot more. Disclosure is about basically the whole history of the human family. Who are we really? How did we get here? Is someone visiting now trying to remind us of our real ancient history and heritage? Stay tuned.
other side of the news is a current and dynamic companion to augment the discussions from the other side of midnight. We investigate, explore, and extrapolate facts to gain better understanding of current affairs and events, and thus... To bring comfort and calm to our wide international audience. It's a spontaneous commentary. Based on well-verified references headed through vigilance and discernment. Our desire is to awaken your imagination with questions. Questions that have not been asked, yet need answering. The other side of the news is a place where you can come and be with us in community. Learning new things, asking questions, getting compelling answers, and interesting viewpoints. It's about curiosity. We present thought-provoking questions to incite your mind, propelling you to see the world in another way. Propelling you to see the world in another way. With clear insight. Fresh perspectives on global events. Tune in for a balanced view of the other side of the news. And the other side of the news can be heard here on this network, on this channel, on this website, on this URL, every Friday evening, two hours, 7 to 9 p.m. Pacific time. I warn you, you'll miss it at your own peril. Welcome back, everyone, to The Other Side of Midnight for this Saturday, November 28th, a couple, three days after Thanksgiving. Welcome to the Thanksgiving extended weekend. I hope you're having a safe but happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Stephen Bassett is the executive director of the Paradigm Research Group, founded in 1996 to end a government-imposed embargo on the truth behind extraterrestrial-related phenomena. He has spoken to audiences around the world about the implications of disclosure. In his definition, the formal confirmation by heads of state of an extraterrestrial presence engaging the human race presently. He has given over 1,200 radio and television interviews, actually 1,201, and PRG's advocacy work has been extensively covered by national and international media, including being featured on CNN, Fox, MSNBC, The Washington Post, and yes, the great lady herself, The New York Times. In 2013, PRG organized a citizen hearing on disclosure at the National Press Club in downtown Washington. In November of 2014, PRG launched a two-year political initiatives out of Washington, D.C. that injected the ET issue into the 2016 presidential campaign. PRG recently launched a new political podcast out of D.C., The Disclosure Wire, based in the National Press Building, two blocks from the White House. Stephen Bassett, welcome back to The Other Side. Richard, I come with grievous news. Um, just within the last hour, multiple reports have come in that the Utah monolith has been removed. Um, no one knows who did it, and the BLM says it wasn't them. So the mystery deepens. Uh, how about the canyon walls? Canyon walls are still there. They didn't take those. <laughs> <laughs> well, given the worst case scenario that this really is the key to an archive, an ancient archive, which is my model, and I'll back it up in a few minutes with some really amazing new details, I am not surprised. I had a long discussion with one of our other team members last night, Ron Gerbron, 
And I was really debating whether we should be talk, even talking about this to point out the significance. The idea that um, someone has come and taken it, and it's not the people who own the land because it's federal property. It's a national park, the Bureau of Land Management. The fact that they say they didn't means whoever did is trying to truncate, to squash, to eliminate the message. Well, it's too late because we have figured it out. So, Keith, you want to resume? And, and Stephen, uh, join in any time because when we get to the end of this, there's some surprises that I think are going to be even intriguing to you. I love surprises. <laughs> Keith? Okay. All right. So I, I left off at uh, picture 19. And the like I said, the, the puma on the left side, to me, it looks like a puma or, or a panther. On the right side, we have weird carvings and etchings on the left side in picture 19. But what really will blow your mind is when you see the, the wide shot of this from different angle, which is in picture, I think, 23 or 24 or something. And you will see on that side the face of a cat. A, it, my wife says it looks like a raccoon, but I, it, that's a cat. And, and I was blown away when I saw that. I said, I didn't understand what the stuff was on the left side of, of the monolith in picture 19, but I knew it was artificial. But when I saw it from that distance, when you look at it in picture, uh, the pictures as it comes up, you're going to notice that is a picture of a feline. I don't care how you try to look at it and say dismiss it. You're going to see it as a feline. All right. So picture 20. Um, this is a, a different shot where you actually see on the wall uh, behind the puma, there's other artistic things embedded in the wall it's it's kind of hard to to make it out but well the, 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 the department of public service uh guys from the state of utah were really kind of bad investigators and bad photographers sorry guys they did none of the things you should do if you're looking at something that's potentially interesting or even important they didn't do any measurements they didn't do any tap tests they didn't take panoramas so you could stitch together and see the whole context they didn't even seem to walk around on the video, so you see this thing from all all sides, all dimensions. They just took a few kind of like tourist shots and then scooted back up the hill to the chopper and took off. All right. Picture 21. Remember, Rich said this is a tetrahedral or triangular. It's pointing like an arrow straight to the the division in between these two sections. And if you look at the ground coming out from that slit, you'll see that there's these two parallel lines and it looks like water running out of it. Mm -hmm. It's like somebody placed this here to say, look in here. And I would love to go look through that, that crack and see what's in there because there's, this has been here since 2015 from uh, all the evidence from Google earth, going back, looking at the previous history of this location. So somebody put it here, but no one noticed it till five years later and that's interesting why was it put here what's it pointing to but like i said utah is littered with these things and these people are walking through this area and nobody notices artwork that's there that's eroded over thousands of years you're talking now about the tourists that figured out on um, google earth where this thing is and have been flocking to the site for the last two or three days exactly and and I can't believe that they can't see what's what's in front of them. And when you get to uh, picture 22, um, I think I'm missing the picture that shows the cat's face. Uh, yeah, we have that, that in our other section. We'll get to it momentarily. Okay. Uh, on on 23, there's this stone cube, uh, whatever, but it has this weird, perfect curved shape on the back of it. This slopes down, and then when you look to the other opposite side, which is the right side of it, it looks like there's a simian monkey face with a mouth, the nose, and, and then on the to the left of that is looks like an ear. But what's really strange about it, because when you go to the next picture, which is a little bit closer, you'll notice that 
there's a square cut out in the front of this. And you can see it's a like a square. But in that square are three reliefs within it. They're parallel to each other. It almost looks like Sumerian um, hieroglyphs, cuneiform. Right. So we have enough details in this to say this does not belong there. So how did it get there? And what is it representing? But it looks like it's all part of this whole thing. Okay, Um, let's go back to the main page. Okay. All right, and we're going to click on, well, actually, main page is too strong. <laughs> I want to go to the guest page, so click on the banner again. Uh, scroll down, and under that, under the banner, it's got uh, fast links to items. Click on mine. Scroll down to item number three. That's the latest news story. Well, actually, it's not the latest. Steve just gave us the latest. This is the one where it showed how all the the amateurs have figured out where it is. If you look at... If you scroll down where it says story continues, um, under the uh, second picture, which is of uh, David Serber, who's the first tourist who apparently got there, uh, you can see over his left shoulder this cat face, which actually looks even more like a cat when you take an angle shot a little further to the right in this picture. And on the left there, you can see the obelisk. And you can see it's curved because this is a wide-angle shot. Below that are two images. You see them? August 15th and October 2016. 2015, 2016. So between August 2015, when the shot on the left was taken, and 2016, in October, when the shot was taken, someone put the monolith there. Now, October 2016 is just before the election. And then... Nothing happens for four years until November 18th of 2020. And suddenly these guys, quote, accidentally find it. Um, I don't think that was an accident. I think that was part of the disclosure. It was originally meant to be, quote, accidentally found four years ago. And this, of course, gets right into uh, Stephen's wheelhouse. I think there was an interregnum, a pause for the four years of the Trump administration. And as soon as the election was, uh, uh, you know, convincingly won by Biden, um, the plan to bring this forward and introduce it to public consciousness proceeded. And I don't think the helicopter guys found this by accident at all. I think it's part of a plan. And I think, in fact, my speculation is the Mormons, who have a great deal of, shall we say, intriguing knowledge, are behind this, and almost everybody uh, in Utah is a Mormon. And so if you're part of the plan, all you have to be told is to go out on a certain date and find this thing, and everything will take care of itself. Now, if you scroll a little further down, here's another wide shot of uh, Serber filming himself with a couple of guys doing something funny over in the uh, over his right shoulder in the background. But if you look on the right, Keith, do you see now the pussycat? Um, well, I, I, I got lost, so I, I'm kind of trying to find my way back to your the, the story continues. So Okay, so where, where did you get lost? Uh, I'm right under your stuff. Um, Just click on the fast links to my stuff. Yeah, that's what I thought I did. Okay. And I go down to picture number three. Number three, Utah monolith, Internet sleuths got there, but its origins are a mystery. Okay. And you can see the pussycat there on that shot right on on my section. And then click on that. That takes you to the story. Scroll down and it'll right. tell you the story continues. Click on that. That takes ah. you to the comparisons before and after. And then under that is another view of Cerber, the first tourist to get there with the cat over his left shoulder. And then mm-hmm. there's this artist down below that. John McCracken, who they think might have done this. I don't think it was John because John died several years ago. And now if you scroll under McCracken, there's a pre-dawn shot. You can see in the background in the cliff, you can see the sunlight is lighting up the mesas beyond. But this is a different color because it's only lit by skylight. And you see the monolith and then you see that gorgeous cat face on the right. 
And then you see, if you keep looking, you'll see a whole bunch of interesting figures on the left. This canyon is a treasure trove of um, ancient, ancient art that has nothing in terms of um, similarity with, you know, Native American art, which is primarily, you know, small pictographs or um, uh, petroglyphs, uh, but nothing on this scale and nothing that could literally burrow into the rock and scoop away huge sections unless unless we're woefully underestimating Native Americans' persistence or technology in more recent uh, time frames. Stephen, Rich, before, yeah, go ahead. Real quick. There, there is a video. The video is playing down in the lower corner on that page, but there is a shot from up above looking down at this area from uh, the backside higher up from where we are right now, and that shows that cat face so well. It's it, nobody can dispute it. This they can go. Uh, it looks like yeah. no. When you look at the one where the shot comes from the top in the video, it looks like a cat face. I don't care who looks at it; they're gonna see the cat, right? Mm. Right. This well, except everybody who's meandering around is not seeing anything because what do they take? They took the one thing which is least important because it's now been decoded, the obelisk. Someone yeah. thinks they're gonna button this up by stealing. <laughs> the new artifact and they're missing why it was there and why it is there. I'm going to get to uh, momentarily, uh, but I want to ask Steve, got any questions, Steve? Are we unclear on anything yet? Uh, hmm. uh, look, I got to say that uh, in terms of the origin and all this stuff on the, of the obelisk, I, I, I have no opinion it would be worth a, a nickel. Um, uh, one of my colleagues, Joe Bookman, I uh, went back, I think, and checked some old Google Earth photos and emailed me something to the fact that it had been around for as long as maybe five years. But five I'm, years. I may, I may have that wrong, but no, 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 no. significant. In that story on August 2015, it's the Google image on the left, there's no obelisk. In October 2016, image on the right, there's the red circle, there's the obelisk. So we know. Okay, so five years. Yes. Yeah, we know about five years. So and no just, one found I, it. Well, it's in a pretty remote place and tucked away. Which uh, means look, it was not meant to be found until it was time to be found. And guess my theories are worth nothing. I do have one comment, though, uh, from my perspective, that what I found interesting was the response. Um, this thing went global. Quickly. Oh, yeah. Uh, and part of that is because 2001 Space Odyssey was – one of the most important movies ever made. A lot of people agree on that. Uh, and so that would have generated some interest. But the fundamental reason that it's gone global and there's so much interest, and people are going to great distance to go see the damn thing, is because it's connected to the extraterrestrial issue. Exactly. And the interest and awareness of the ET issue is at an all-time high. By the way, I should also mention that 20 years ago, in 2001, uh, another type monolith uh, 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 turned up, I think, in Seattle. Uh, and was up for a while and then disappeared. So, but it wasn't shaped like this one. It's a different shape. Okay. The shape uh, is that's critical. All I can, that's all I can add. Okay. The shape is critical. Here, here comes the climax, okay? If you go back to um, the guest page, just hit the back button there. I'm on. And you scroll down to, okay, the uh, DPS guys. Let, let's hit that one, Okay. These are the photographs taken by the actual Department of Public Safety Utah guys in their chopper. Just kind of scroll down. You can see some bighorn sheep. You can make this uh, bigger when you click the plus thingy on your Windows or Mac. Uh, there's a scale. There's a guy standing next to the obelisk. And then below that, there's two guys standing on each other's shoulders to try to see the top. Then there's one guy standing with a far shot looking at the whole canyon. You can see the pussycat behind the, the obelisk to the right on this shot very clearly. And um, just, you know, there's videos there. You can click on them. The last shot at the bottom is a video showing one of the biologists standing next to this. And there's this other bizarre face uh, just as you're about to enter that cleft. They in, initially, when you play these videos, you can hear them say, oh, the thing is pointed right at the cleft in the cliff but they never take a flashlight and go over and look. You know, it's like 
it was pointed toward that. There should probably be a reason, but I believe, and Keith, back, uh, check me if I'm wrong. I think that nobody has taken this seriously at the level of archaeology because it's been d- depicted as an art project. Yeah. And an art project is just something that somebody does. There's there's a bunch of art projects on the uh, uh, shores of the San Francisco Bay. Uh, when you look down by the by the uh, bay edge there between Albany and Berkeley, it's been there for decades. Artists come and go, and they build things out of driftwood, and they disappear into the sands of time. So art is not very much appreciated in nature, and um, that would be was kind of my attitude until I had this conversation with Keith. Because all the images I'd seen at that time only showed the front, like you see in the first image at the top of the DPS site. That made me think, with the analogy with the monolith in 2001, that this thing was a slab. It was a rectangular slab. It was only when Keith pointed out that it actually was an equilateral triangle that all the damn bells went off. And it was like, ding, 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 you got to be kidding so then I did a little more work, and when the Reddit folks found where this was on Google Earth, uh, and it was it was a lead pipe cinch from then to look at the latitude, Stephen, would you want to guess what the latitude of this little marker was before it was taken away? Oh, uh, I fear. <laughs> I cannot, I dare not go there. I'm going to let you go there. Go for it. <laughs> twice it. Nine, twice 19.5. That would be 38. With it, with 38 and change, because it's actually about two miles away from the 19.47 latitude line. And I'm not sure whether that is a mistake or the only place they could place this closest to the, to the extraordinary art. And or it's the difference between geodetic latitude and geographic latitude. I haven't had time to do the calculation to see which is which. The point is that that in itself was so close on a planet of, you know, millions of square miles. It was like, whoa, why is a tetrahedral monument placed on a latitude which is significant to the whole circumscribed tetrahedral um, concept of putting, you know, tetrahedra in spheres, planets, to predict where geological formations are going to erupt like volcanoes or the Great Red Spot on Jupiter, et cetera, et cetera. So there is a mathematical underpinning, a code to placing a equilateral obelisk, which by by virtue of the third dimension, when you raise a equilateral triangle in three dimensions, it becomes a tetrahedron. So the message here is it's a tetrahedral message that we're looking at carefully disguised as an obelisk in the shape of an equilateral triangle made out of, we now know because of the tourists, stainless steel. And we know it was hollow. So it was easy to remove by somebody. And obviously whoever removed it either wanted a souvenir or in a more insidious interpretation, they wanted to remove the key to figuring out why this site is important before anybody figured it out. And as I said, they missed now, if you go back to the main page, so just get rid of the DPS site, go back to the main page, um, and what you're going to want to do is to probably click on Google Earth. Okay, click on my Google Earth link. That will take you to the um, um, actual page that the Reddit folks posted where they found this. It takes a moment for it to load. And there it is in all its glory. And you can use your little wheel, thumb wheel on your mouse to move it back and forth. Okay. Um, you're looking, if you look in the bottom right-hand corner, you know the way Google does stuff. The red um, compass thingy means north and the white compass thingy means south. You see that, Stephen? Did we lose Stephen? I'm, I'm trying. There you are. There you are. Okay. So the picture is a line north, south, east, west, right? Right. Okay. What I did, and we haven't posted it because Cynthia has been, you know, taking some well-deserved time off, is I laid two lines over this this object, and then I made a a, a screen print. the The tilt of this tetrahedron 
this two-dimensional, three-dimensional obelisk in the shape of a equilateral triangle raised in the third dimension, off true north, exactly 19.5. So they placed the obelisk in the canyon so that it would sight down that fissure, that that you know shadow cleft that you can see in the overhead view. So it's exactly 19.5. So we've got redundant, redundant, redundant information all focusing on the tetrahedral model, which, of course, is what we found on Mars. And we found a tetrahedron many, many times, thousands of times now, in association with grand Martian artwork, which is going to be part of the book that we're all working on. Hopefully, we'll be out before the uh, Perseverance rover gets to Mars early next year on February 18th. The point is that the, the, the style of the artwork, and let's go back to the main page, okay? The style of the artwork, if you look at, uh, for instance, uh, number, number three, again, just look at the picture on, on, on my section of Radio with Pictures, the one with uh, Durst looking into the camera, not Durst, uh, what's his name, Stephen, oh, I'll get it here in a minute, um, Stephen, Stephen, Derber, Serber, S-U-R-B-E-R. I'm sorry, David Serber. David Serber, that's his name. Um, if you look at that picture on my links, over his right shoulder, uh, I'm sorry, left shoulder, there is this amazing cat-like feature. And then to the left of that, as you're entering into the cleft, if you want to, there's another facial feature. And then on the opposite side of the cleft, you have all these other things, including a possible lion, this thing that looks like a dinosaur, a whole bunch of other things. We need better pictures. Hint, guys, if you're out there, please get us better pictures and send them. Obelisk notwithstanding. The point is that the the style of the artwork in this canyon is identical to the style of some of the art we found on Mars. And the linkage between the two planets is the 19.5. Who in their right mind as an artist even begins to conceive of the concept of 19.5 unless they know about the physics and its crucial linkage to our ancient human heritage now the most exciting aspect of this could be if in fact kind et drop this there you look down at number six and you can see the equilateral form on the top taken by the helicopter pilot who was sitting up on the hill and just zoomed in with his uh, smartphone camera to one of his colleagues kind of beginning to walk around the base. The other thing is that it is done by some group here on Earth, very terrestrial, who somehow are aware of the ancient connections between Mars and Earth and ETs. And if that is the case, then as we might say, it could be Katie Barr the door. When we return... We'll be coming back with our guest of the morning, Stephen Bassett, and we'll be discussing in this new year whether or not disclosure will formally, politically unfold in Washington. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Thanks for listening to this exciting first hour. Now, the second and third hour of the show is available to Club 19.5 members only. Please support the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 and join our very interesting community. To do that, please visit the website, theothersideofmidnight.com, and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the left-hand column. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350-plus shows that we have done. Now, recent Club 19.5 member archive recording have the commercials removed, and the sound quality has been enhanced. You'll also receive a dedicated private podcast feed that contains these enhanced show recordings. And you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the archive if you prefer. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll also be the first to preview our new videos and reports. We'll be adding exclusive new features to Club 19.5 as we go forward. And boy, have we got some amazing things to tell you about in the coming weeks. So please support the show and don't miss all the exciting new things we have planned. I want to thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your guys' support, this show would not be on the air. 
Please help us continue growing the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 today. And when I say we really need you, we really need you. Over and out. Thank you.